You're listening to the Vol Basketball Fever Podcast, your source for news, discussion, and debates about the Vols and Lady Vols basketball programs. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and everywhere else podcasts are found. Hello, everyone, and welcome in to another episode of the Vol Basketball Fever Podcast. I am Nathaniel Rutherford, joined again by Gene Henley, and we are happy to have you along for the ride here for another episode of the show. If this is your first time here, thank you so much for tuning in. You can find us everywhere podcasts are found. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, everywhere we get podcasts, we're there. You can find us, subscribe to us today, share the show with a friend if you are you know have some fall fans who love basketball. Anybody who just loves college basketball in general wants to kind of slow down on some teams and want to kind of get an SEC flavor or Tennessee flavor, share the show with them and let them know about the Vol Basketball Fever podcast. Gene, we have a not, not really a busy show. We got, it's kind of a slow time in the offseason. We do have some things to recap and talk about with recruiting. NBA Summer League wraps up. Tennessee had some pretty strong showings of some former players in the Summer League. And if we have time to it, we'll get to an interesting graphic that I saw that I, I wanted to discuss and that kind of surprised me at first, but then the more I thought about it, I was like, no, that, that actually makes sense. But we'll get to some news here first on the recruiting trail. And we, a guy we talked about last week when we had a, a, a mini mailbag episode, so if you haven't listened to that yet, go back and check out last week's episode. Um, talked about some news and notes that also answered, I think, a couple questions from listeners on Twitter. This one is a little bit of a follow-up to one of those guys, five-star Case and Wallace. Since we last recorded, Gene came out and did an interview with, or I think maybe, I don't know if he did an interview, I think he just, a, a Jerry Hamilton of On3 mentioned this, but then Casey Wallace also, um, I want to say he may have, I don't think he put anything on Twitter, but he may have put something on Instagram or somewhere, but it has a top three of Tennessee, Kentucky, and Texas. Not really a surprise, those are three teams that have seemed like the, you know, three of the main teams for him for a while, especially Tennessee, Kentucky. But not only that, is also announcing he's taking official visits to those schools. First up, going to go to Lexington to see the Wildcats on August 26th, following it up to an official visit to Texas on September 3rd or 4th. I think it, well, that weekend, 3rd and 4th. And then Tennessee is getting his last official visit of that trio on September 17th. And then he's supposed to be announcing his commitment on November 7th. So, Gene, it's talking last week, you know, about Kentucky giving him the offer and, you know, that should worry Vol fans. And if I, you know, being a Vol fan, it would worry me that, you know, the case of Walls has been one of Tennessee's top targets. Looks like Kentucky is a school that he, you know, has wanted an offer from. And obviously, anytime Kentucky comes in late and offers a kid, you got to worry. I would still definitely be worried. And I still think it's it's probably down to Tennessee, Kentucky. I think Texas is fighting for third at this point. Um, but I think if you're, you're a Vol fan, you see that Tennessee is getting the last visit. That has to give you some encouragement. I mean, obviously, September 17th to November 7th, that's a large chunk of time. That's almost a two-month period. But it is nice that um, Tennessee's getting the last visit. And then, again, you, you're going to end up having about two and a half months between his visit to Lexington to when he's making his decision. So Tennessee will have the last word. Obviously, you're going to have coaches in contact with him all the time um, between those visits and when he makes his decision. But... I don't, I don't know if this sways my opinion one way or the other, but 
Tennessee getting that last official. That's always that's something you hear a lot. Uh, I, I know from when I used to follow football recruiting a lot more. That's something you used to hear a lot in football recruiting is, oh look, this getting their last visit. This this team's getting the last visit. That that bodes well for them. I don't I don't know if I'm ahead like the hit rate of those schools like get the last visit to get that recruit. But it always makes you feel at least a little better if you're that that team that's getting the last visit as opposed to the one that's getting the first one. Yeah, no doubt. Um, I, I think if there's one thing that will that's really going to go against uh, Tennessee, and obviously it's great that they do have the final visit. Um, one thing kind of going against them is, I think I, I brought this up last week. Um, they've got a similarly built guy that's probably going to be on the roster next year in, in Mayshack and uh, who's going to be a year ahead in the program I'm, li- I'm sitting here looking Mayshack 65190 listed I mean on 24-7 uh, Wallace is 64185 um, you know Mayshack is you know was rated as number 60 player in the country uh, obviously, Wallace is 16th. Uh, these are all according to 24/7. Um, I, I think you know one thing that's going to be working against them is they kind of have a guy that does. I mean, that's his. You know, the place his position um, there, and and it's not necessarily that it's working against Tennessee. It's that it may be working for um, like a Kentucky or a Texas, just because. Um, you know, obviously, Kentucky will always be, you know, completely restocking the deck. Um, you know, e- even as I'm, I've predicted last year, it's kind of come to fruition that Kentucky was going to start adjusting their recruiting tactics and not necessarily go all out on one and dones. Um, <clears throat> there, there will still be a lot of guys that leave Kentucky year in year out. And you know, and try to you know pursue in a you know NBA dream. So, um, you know, the fact that Tennessee has the last visit is obviously really it's important, it's good. Um, but obviously, I mean, you know, these coaches are going to completely blow this kid's ear up until November seventh, um, until he does. And I'm sitting here looking at two predictions. Um, both of them are Kentucky um, in terms of crystal ball both of them well one was made back in April one was made a couple weeks ago um, who knows uh, none of, nothing has been cast in a long time so there's not a lot of confidence for any of the big recruiting guys but we've also haven't hit official visit season yet either so it, it'll be interesting to see um just what direction he goes, but you know Tennessee has got themselves in this game where you know they're going to be battling Kentucky, you know Kentucky for one of the top twenty prospects in the country, and will get the last chance to kind of showcase why they you know why they should be the place for them. It's just I, I still kind of feel as though from some stuff I've read and stuff that um, it's it's an uphill battle, but getting the last. You know, getting the last visit certainly a step in in closing that gap, and who knows what'll happen here in a couple. You know, when it's when the you know when the, when the time has come. I, it's interesting to me because if they don't get him, we'd also talk last week about Brandon Miller. I don't. That's again. <laughs> yeah, I thought your insight on that was pretty interesting. 
um, and and I wouldn't say telling you either, but it's just like <clears throat> this recruiting class is going to be interesting for Tennessee, and I think that it's going to be um, not a bad one at all. They're not going to, you know, it's not like they're going to miss out on a bunch of guys. It just I'll be curious to see like what happens if they don't land Casey Walls. What happens if they don't land? Because I don't think they're going to get Jalen Hood Shafino either. I think he's probably going to pick Indiana. Um, when he makes his announcement here soon, I don't remember when his announcement is, but whenever it is, he's he's announcing sometime soon. Um, is that this I think it might be, yeah. So by the time someone's listening to this episode, it's probably already happened, possibly. Uh, but obviously, Tennessee already has BJ Edwards committed, and they have plenty of other guys they're going after. Um, yeah, they're they're going to get it. There's another kind of recruiting note we mentioned. They're going to get a visit from Jet Howard again. That's Michigan's like locked and loaded, ready to go to, to commit to them. But hey, Tennessee looks like they're they're fighting second. And in in this day and age of the transfer, like it's not a bad thing to be a to finish second for a, a highly rated player and a guy who you know again if if his dad obviously coaches there, if his dad leaves Michigan for the NBA or anything like that anytime soon. Um, then, I mean, hey, if Jet doesn't want to stick around Michigan because his dad's gone, who's he going to think of? Probably Tennessee. So I think that's – that's another thing we could mention too is Jet Howard. <laughs> Again, Tennessee's not getting him on the front end unless something just really goes wrong, unless he and his dad for some reason has some kind of falling out. Tennessee ain't getting him as a, as a commit or a signee in this 22 class. But I, I don't think it's bad. I don't think Tennessee's wasting their time to continue to do this because, like I said, you, you can't you can't be too careful in this day and age of – you know, being able to have the one-time transfer. And plus, it's also a case of, I mean, he plays at IMG Academy, and, and what's it going to do to hurt to have a good relationship with another IMG Academy kid who can talk to other IMG Academy, you know, recruits and say, hey, Tennessee's got really good staff, you should give them a look, um, and, and whatnot. So, I mean, that to me, not it's not really big news because, again, I'd, I would be stunned if Tennessee got Jed Howard to commit to them. But it's still worth noting because highly rated prospect and it's a guy who, you know, on the back end of things, possibly if he's, if he's not a one and done guy, which I don't think he will be, but if he's at Michigan for a couple of years and something happens, he's going to transfer Tennessee would be a, a, a choice, I think for him. So that's also worth noting. But I think this, this class, we talked a little bit about Felix Akpara before he came into Ohio state, Tennessee got to the top five of Ernest Uday Jr. Who is a, borderline fight. He actually is a five-star on um, Tour 7. The composite is not, but he is on Tour 7. Tennessee, I think, is in a good spot with Johan Traore, who is a... He's going to be probably a five-star once it's all said and done as, a, as another big man. Those are both two um, center prospects. But, I mean, just because if Tennessee misses out on Kaysen Wallace, if they miss out on Huchifino, like, I think they're going to... They've missed out on Akpara... I, I mean, I think they're still they're going to be fine in this class. There's a chance with Brandon Miller. Uh, there's a there's a chance with a couple other guys, and they've also offered put out a couple other offers recently with uh, Zakai Ziegler as a point guard, and also Justin Fernandez. I think is a guy they recently offered too. Um, who plays over Lynchburg, Virginia. So they they I'm not worried obviously about recruiting. I, I don't think if if Tennessee misses on Case and Wallace, it's all of a sudden, oh, where's Tennessee going to turn this class? I, I think there's. Uh, obviously, and also I think Kyron Lindsay is another guy who was um, offered recently by Tennessee at up to six eight big uh, six eight kind of. He's six eight, but he's two oh five, so you know he's not really a big man. I wouldn't say, not necessarily, not like a, a typical four. But anyway, like if Tennessee misses out on a guy like Casey Wallace in the long run in, in November, I'm not worried about this class for Tennessee. I'm not worried about Tennessee's recruiting. I think we have enough of a a track record the last three four years to know that 
I mean, even the four stars that you don't have to have five stars to have success four stars and three stars will get you success maybe not as immediate success and not as like guys like Springer and Keon who have the athleticism who have that that wow factor but I, I my point in all this is if Tennessee fans listening here if Casey Wallace ends up going to Kentucky and Tennessee doesn't get him Tennessee doesn't get Huchifino when he's committing I think this weekend I, I wouldn't like push the panic button I wouldn't I wouldn't I wouldn't freak out at least, you know, not, not me at least. No, there's no reason to. Um, I think um, the abilities and uh, this ability, I mean, this, this staff's ability to go out and, you know, get quality players that kind of fit the system. I mean, I think la- this offseason kind of showed that. Um, this is not a st- this is not a staff that you should count out. I mean, they completely retooled the roster this year from one that didn't show a lot of you know when the season ended there wasn't a lot of reason for optimism. Um, and look, man, if anybody that listens to this podcast knows I couldn't care less about star rankings. They're they're nice to talk about, but mm-hmm. um, but um, so like to me. I don't care how many stars you got. Like if you are being recruited by the likes of Rick Barnes, that's usually for a reason. He sees something. It doesn't always work out. You know, see Devontae Gaines, see Drew Pember, um, see some of the guys that they recruited last year. But a lot of schools across the country had made recruiting misses this offseason. That's something that doesn't get initially get talked about because you know COVID you know people couldn't recruit due to COVID and so a lot of people took chances on guys and those things didn't pan out couldn't evaluate guys you were sitting here staring at huddle tape or YouTube or some kids two minute 25 second highlight package on their Twitter page or and word of mouth and things of that nature. So, yeah, there were some recruiting misses last year. Um, but, um, you know, I think when you look at the totality of what Barnes has done in Knoxville, I mean, he's gone out and gotten guys that fit the program, fit what they're trying to do. So they may not get guys. And, look, I'll question. I have no issue questioning pieces that were brought in, and I have no, you know, you know wondering out loud how the pieces fit, but um, I also think that Rick Barnes has earned the benefit of the doubt that uh, the pieces that he brings in, if he can, if he has time to evaluate these pieces, then he actually will will succeed far more than he fails. So maybe they get Wallace, maybe they don't. I kind of don't think they do. Um, I would lean towards them not getting them. Um, they're going to put together a quality class. Uh, it may not be ranked second in the country. Okay, we'll figure it out. You know, like maybe they're 15 or something like that in the country. That doesn't matter in basketball. That stuff matters in football. Kentucky has Kentucky and Duke. You know, go back and forth. Number one class in the country. It doesn't. It what has it gotten them? Very little. We'll see. What, I mean, I think Michigan is in better shape because they've got some key pieces coming back from that team last year and this is what Jawan Howard's third season um, 
and heck, we all know he's going to get his son on the front end. But, um, but like, I mean, just getting the number one, number two class in the country, it doesn't mean an awful lot in the great, immediately. And we've talked about this, Nathaniel, many times. There's a certain level of thirst um, that Tennessee fans have to get to that next level as a program, get to a Final Four, get towards a national championship. So getting the number one recruiting class, number two, in 2022 does not mean an awful lot into for 22-23. You know, unless you all, unless Tennessee makes a big run this this upcoming season, then you know, being able to stack some quality pieces on top of it matters. But until then, just go along for the ride and and you know, trust the guy that has you know taken Tennessee to this point where. They're at least looked at as a reputable program. People can point to whatever level they want to. Top five, top top ten, doesn't matter. They are a reputable program that, you know, people respect on the recruiting trail. That hasn't always been the case. <laughs> That's very true. Yeah. Here's a here's a question that I like just thought of. You're talking about like rankings not mattering, you know, and you personally, you know, not caring as much about star ratings and stuff is there because I, I have i have probably two guys in mind um for my answer to this question is there anyone you can think of gene for specifically with tennessee in the last you know whatever however long you want to do this you, you've you've it could be in the last 15 10 15, 20 years whatever has there been a guy who came in that was hyped up or whatever that you or maybe wasn't hyped up but you you thought like coming into tennessee that hey i'm looking forward to what this guy's going to do i think he's going to have you know, really good career here at Tennessee or whatever, and then didn't, like, do you have something that pops in your head when you immediately think of, man, I had really high hopes for this guy and really thought he was going to do something, and then didn't, because two of the guys I think of immediately, interestingly enough, are two taller guys, were Kenny Hall and, and Ronaldo Woolridge. Both those guys were guys that I thought, obviously I was younger back then, I was, that was in the, what, 2008 and 2009 signing classes when that happened, like that was back in the Bruce Pearl era, so I was in high school but I still thought like those guys are going to come in and be you know really good players of Tennessee I was really hoping they would be able to do more than what they end up doing for Tennessee the, so those those guys popped in my head I, I, I don't know what made me think of it but I, I know obviously a lot of people will probably say Robert Hubbs because he was a five star but I don't also I look at him having injuries and that kind of holding him back that's why I didn't say him because I'm a little more like understanding of what you know why he didn't pan out necessarily but I'd be interested to see if you had anyone that kind of popped in your head that's further back or anyone I, I'd kind of overlooked that, you know, you thought was going to come in and actually, you know, have a have a good career or, or good year or whatever, and they just did not pan out for whatever reason for Tennessee. Maybe not somebody that I expected more from, but I hoped for more from because more personal relationships, and that's Derek Reese. Um, mm. Because... You know, I met him, I guess it was in like maybe 2011 or 12, something there. It was, I think he had just signed, so I guess it would have been 12. Um, and I, you know, having met him and talked to him some and kind of developed a little, not, not a relationship by any means, but just having met him once or twice, you know, I, I think I rooted for him and it's rare that I root for guys like I just don't like you know you kind of control your own success there um I kind of hoped 
that he would have a successful career there. Um, as I look here, it it's not it, it didn't turn out great for him. Also, I think the thing for me is I I, I have to ask always ask myself when it comes to signees, what are the expectations for him? Mm-hmm. Because I, I have to look at it from both sides. Like I can go back to Vincent Yarbrough, you know, who the reality was he had a heck of a career at Tennessee. And the reality is also he wasn't what Tennessee fans thought they were getting. They would as good as his career was, they wanted more. Um and I I get it. Like, you know, he it's their maybe to this day one of their greatest recruiting victories because they can legitimately say that they beat Kentucky out for a top guy. Legitimately. Not we both offered them none of that stuff. Like you legitimately beat out Kentucky for a guy. And so, uh, and also I think along that same realm, you've got Scotty Hobson who again had a nice career, but expectations versus reality. Um, you know, like him having a nice career and him being a top 15 prospect in the country, you know, like that's, it didn't quite pan out that way. Not something I concern myself with. I just try to put my, but if I try to think from the perspective of the fan, um, also, I mean, also another person from more of a hoped uh, that I would have a good career, would be Devonte Gaines, and that's because yeah, he popped um, too. I have you know I have a cousin who trained him some up in Buffalo, and my cousin was always like reaching out to me about this kid. So you know I wanted to see him succeed, especially I talked to the kid a couple times in post game things, and a couple things he said, you know, kind of just you know I, you listen to him, and I'm a person that when I like to you know I like to talk with these kids like I don't really care what you do on a basketball court I understand it's a big part of it your own scholarship blah 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 but I'm more you know I'm trying to peel back the layers and understand who the kid is and so when you I actually got a chance to after one of the games he had something written on a shoe and I can't remember the details but it was a good story um and so uh, that was a person I, re- I, I kind of, you know, hoped would do well. I guess, you know, Juwan Smith would be the exact opposite of that for me. Hmm. You know, he's a Cleveland kid who I think his only offer was like ETSU or maybe it was MTSU. And uh, I guess due to, I think Aaron Green got him, you know, into Tennessee as a walk on under. Uh, Buzz, and then you know, Buzz is out. Here comes Pearl. Here comes Lofton. Well, actually, Lofton and Jawan came at the same time, but the rest is kind of history there. Uh, so, I mean, I don't think I necessarily have a direct answer to the first part of your question. The second part would be a kid like Jawan Smith, who did kind of come out. Um, if you want to go expectations versus reality, there. <laughs> uh, his yeah. story is better than Grant Williams because Grant was at least recruited to Tennessee. You know, Grant was given money his first year. 
Whereas I'm pretty sure I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure maybe Juwan was like a preferred walk on, but that did not last. You know, obviously they figured out real quick. We got a guy here. Uh, and, um, there are obviously tons of good stories, but I mean, in terms of just the success story angle, I mean, you look at recruiting rankings, what's expected and all this, that, and the other, um, he would be a good tell in that direction. You can't build a team at in the SEC or pretty much anywhere in the country that way. But if you can get a guy, you know, along the way that goes above and beyond what you ever expected, and you kind of got him more off the scrap heap. Uh, again, Admiral was recruited to Tennessee. All yeah, those yeah. guys from a few years ago were recruited to Tennessee. Juwan was a kid who grew up in McMinn County and, you know, born in Cleveland, grew up in McMinn County and believed that he was going, that he was that caliber player, decided, you know, bet on himself and went from walk on to, you know, as we kind of, you know, make our way into our next topic, uh, a summer league invite with the Dallas Mavericks. And I'm pretty sure he had a game where he scored 20 with the Mavs. So, um, to go from where you thought, I mean, where you were to that, um, that would be my opposite, you know, recruiting expectations versus reality type guy. Yeah, before we do go on to our next topic, a, a couple of names that I wanted to mention too. One, one guy I was excited to watch, like how he developed and grew at Tennessee, and, and it didn't up hap- end up happening was Darius Thompson, that the point guard, mm-hmm. um, I think in, in Konzo's last year, who's a backup. Um, was really excited to see what he'd do, and then obviously Conzo left. He transferred to Virginia. I forgot he finished out his career actually at Western Kentucky. Um, he played at Virginia, redshirted the first year, transferred, played there for a couple years, and then his last year was at Western Kentucky, where he averaged 13 and a half points and almost five rebounds or five assists a game, excuse me, and almost five rebounds a game actually. Um, I don't think he's you know played in the league or anything like that. He played over it in Blackman, so I mean he was he was a yeah. Interstate kid who I was excited to to watch and develop at Tennessee and then, you know, was here for one season. That was it. Yeah, real quick on him. What was mm-hmm. interesting was I covered – I was at the state tournament his senior year, and I'd heard all this stuff about this kid because, um, yeah, he had signed with Tennessee, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he went to Tennessee first. And uh, I watched that game. I'm pretty sure Blackman was undefeated going into that game. Um, they got beat by whoever – oh, they got beat by a team out of Nashville, somewhere in Nashville. And um, there was a kid who I think ended up going to Lipscomb who hit a three in the corner to beat him. But the best player for that Blackman team that game was this junior. Yeah, because Thompson was a senior. was this junior kid. Um, by the name of Jawan Jennings. I was about to say, was it Jawan? <laughs> yeah, I, I remember that. Like that kid, like that's and like you can tell football players who play basketball and basketball players. Thompson was a basketball player. Like Jawan was a football player who played basketball. Now, good. The good thing about those guys is they're usually kind of they have a fearlessness about them. It's why, like you watch an NCAA tournament, a guy like Jalen Suggs play. And he plays fearlessly, but you can also see that that kid has a natural basketball ability. He, he just apparently was a really good quarterback as well. Uh, I think he was the top player in Minnesota or whatever. But um, 
Yeah, like Jennings played just fearlessly. And then you start, you know, Google.com and you're like, oh, this Jennings kid apparently is a highly recruit, you know, highly recruited, you know, basketball, a football player. Oh, okay, cool. So uh, he's a quarterback and he's got all this stuff, you know, this, that, and the other. So, uh, yeah, no, I, I remember that. But I just, I just thought about that because I just remember that particular game and watching Thompson. I think he actually had a turnover at the end of the game with the game on the line. That cost him, and I was, I personally was immediately out on him. Same thing with Hubs. <laughs> I saw Hubs play too, the state tournament, and he hit a three from like thirty-five feet, and I can't remember. They played a team out of Memphis and got beat pretty badly, and I was kind of a little disappointed because I just hoped that you know, his team did not have much. His high school team did not have an awful lot, and he was the type of guy that I'm like, yeah, I just hoped. Going into that game, okay, you've got this Dyer County team going up against this team of just grown men, whoever they were playing, and um, maybe this kid will just show out and have like 33. And he may have finished with like 20 points, but I mean, whoever they played, I'm pretty sure won state easily that year. And they just threw a bunch of guys at him, and he didn't stand a chance. So I was initially as out on him. But I, I really hoped in that moment that he would go out there and just put together some great performance. And he did the best he could. But, I mean, he was completely under, like overwhelmed. One more name I'll bring up and then move on to the next topic is a guy who I'd forgotten existed. And it sent me on this weird spiral of looking at things. But Braxton Bonds was a name I'd forgotten had been even coming to Tennessee. He ended up playing at a... Oh, what's the school he played at? Uh, Houston Baptist is where he ended up playing for three years. Um, I think he actually he's from Nashville again. Another yeah. Tennessee guy went, went played at CPA over there. Um, but yeah, he ended up playing at Houston Baptist and was pretty okay over there for them. So <laughs> I don't know why I was just looking at some of the Tennessee's recruits for the past few years because we're going to talk about that in a second too. But he's a name I'd totally forgotten about. And I was like, man, I remember I remember Braxton Bonds being a guy that Tennessee had committed to one point, but he ended up being a, a practice squad player for Donnie Tindall one year that he was here so <laughs> well it is real, interesting the rabbit, rabbit holes i can go down real quick yeah well yeah speaking of rabbit holes i i typed in braxton bonds and found his twitter page his pinned tweet uh says proud to say that i will be attending houston baptist university next year to continue my basketball and academic career he his pinned tweet is from june 22nd 2016 does he, uh, does he even tweet anymore <laughs> he had, there's some retweet from august 27th of last year Wow, that was his last. Uh, maybe he's replied to something. Um, <laughs> no, he he replied to something in uh, on April fourth, and uh, and I'm not sure exactly. There's a reply there that I'm kind of like, oh, no about you guy, but. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, so yeah, uh, Braxton Bonds. You would know a whole heck of a lot more about those sorts of things. I mean, I think people could easily. I think if you want to go towards somebody that's a little bit more recent, I think the name that everybody it kind that everybody it kind of stings to think about would be DJ Burns. I have, yep, I thought of him too because of obviously what he is becoming at Winthrop. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
And again, that's also Winthrop, but it's his own fault that he didn't, you know, succeed at Tennessee from everything I heard. But yeah, you're you're absolutely right, though. Well, and the problem with that is in this day and age, the gap between um, the gap between your Tennessees and your Winthrop's isn't as substantial as it once was. Um, That's a Winthrop team that won its conference championship. Uh, from a talent perspective, you're you're absolutely right. Um, especially the way that Tennessee recruits now, from just a pure talent perspective, uh, it, it's not even close. But if you just look at it from a, a pure, you know, like basketball perspective, there's not that much of a gap between uh, between a Tennessee and a Winthrop and. Look, the kid was good enough to having. Uh, he was good enough for Tennessee to take a chance on to begin with. Oh, yeah. And so then you look and see what he what he did uh, this past year. I mean, I mean, he. They, I watched that kid work out his red his red shirt season. I was never overwhelmed by him. Um, I just. You know, I felt like I could score twenty on him. You know, now um, I felt like he'd score thirty-eight on me, but I'd find a way to get about fifteen, twenty points. I just didn't. I just thought his foot speed was extremely slow. But also wondered, you know, as people complained about the lack of post depth um, in Knoxville the past two seasons, what his Frame. I mean, they list him now at six nine two seventy five um, at Winthrop, which feels a little overweight. Uh, feels a little big, I guess you could say, but mm. um, not overweight because obviously he does a good job. I mean, he's almost unstoppable in the paint from what I watched. Um, but man, that's that's a big build. That's a big body. Uh, it would have been interesting to see if he would have been if he would have been asked to play at that size um, in Knoxville, right? Um, you know, but I mean, what he does works. I mean, what he does works. He's been freshman of the year in the in the Big South. He averaged ten points a game last year. <laughs> he was second on his team in blocks with twelve. Uh, <laughs> Which means he's certainly not gonna like people who want you to protect the paint. Uh, defense, I mean, like I'm just reading here. Defensively, I don't think the kid would ever have given Tennessee much. Um, if people want rim protectors, he's not that. Yeah, you know, he blocked 23 shots as a freshman, which is weird. Um, it, it seems but, like just statistically, he took a little bit of a step back this past year. But I also like, I mean, yeah, if it was a COVID year. Like I'm, I'm willing to give grace to a lot of guys for this past year. But he's never been a person who rebounds the ball well. He averaged, he averaged under four a game for his career. Um, and again, like, like I'll always argue that that's not a stat that people need to worry too much about because now your guards do a lot more rebounding because it's one, you know your your bigs are being asked more to just block out so your guards can swoop in and grab rebounds because that's one less out. That's an one less pass that you have to make that could get intercepted. Uh, I mean, heck, UTC's leading rebounder was his point guard last year, who's like 6'4", 6'5", and he averaged like eight and a half rebounds a game. Um, it's just look, it's just one less pass. Gets you into your offense that much quicker. So, um, 
But I mean, for his career, you know, DJ has averaged three point eight. But he would have been an interesting person to kind of watch because I'm just looking here statistically. Even in his best season, his freshman season, he averaged he had forty one assists and seventy six turnovers. This this year, he had fourteen assists, twenty five turnovers. Uh, you know, he scores. He can score on anybody. Um, he's very talented there. But he can't hit free throws, so you can't play him late no, in games. His, yeah, his, his free throw percentage is bad. Yeah. So just little things you see along the way, but I, I do think it would be interesting because that is something that people have, you know, clamored for is more post depth than Knoxville. And you know, even if he couldn't guard a trash can, um, even if he couldn't guard that, if you put that guy out there to just go get some buckets, and if he can give you six, eight points a game, some of those years. And, I mean, heck, they could have thrown him at that big that Washington State, Oregon State had in the NCAA tournament. It's an additional body, man. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if if he's in a program where maybe he gets into whatever, I don't care what the weight is. Probably not fair to suggest otherwise. But if he could have just got him, if they could have just got him into the sort of shape uh, where he could just run the court and maybe tire the other guy out, then that's, that's a benefit, even if you're not scoring a lot. So... He is. Um, he's certainly on that list because, as we've talked about this, I went from having nobody to tossing out to a, a couple of different names there. But uh, that's usually how these things work with us: is that we just kind of walk, you know, we walk into, you know, we start a podcast with no direction, and <laughs> uh, five minutes later, we still don't really have direction. But at least we have we we've found a way to to talk, you know, with some sort of intelligence about a topic. So, <laughs> and we, and yeah. we have fun. Yeah. Yeah. No doubt. No doubt. And hopefully listeners are having fun too. Um, yeah, no doubt. I, I think that's, that, that was one guy that popped my head too, is that, you know, fans want to see and it. You also think of guys like Quay Parker, Diedrich Mostella, who were like somewhat highly ranked guys who, you know, just didn't pan out Tennessee for one reason or the other for, you know, athleticism. Quay Parker had all the athleticism in the world and then obviously didn't stick around for, multitude of reasons there but there's a lot of different names that that could be even a whole podcast episode in itself to talk about some of those guys but and i thought of it and thought i'd ask you here on the spot so we'll move on here to the next topic that is kind of wrapping up some summer league stuff for former vols in the nba summer league i was i was a little surprised to see this not shocked because i know he had a good summer league i want to say last year too or, or his first year in the summer league but um kyle alexander I think he's going to, I don't know if it's with the Phoenix Suns or what, but he, he I think he's going to get some sort of two-way deal or an Exhibit 10 or something with, with some team because in the Summer League with the Suns, he started all five games for them, and he was pretty darn good. Averaged 11.4 points, nine rebounds, 1.6 blocks per game. He led the team in blocks and was second on the team both in scoring and rebounding. In the second to the last game, I believe second last game, he had 14 points, nine boards. And then in the last game of the Summer League finale for the Phoenix Suns, he had 18 points, 14 boards, three blocks, and 23 minutes of action. Gee, that's impressive, man. Like, I, I know, it, again, in Summer League, this is – you can look really good in Summer League and then not make rosters. I mean, I think Jarnell Stokes was always pretty good in the Summer League and, and, and stuff, but he never really even did anything in the G League, or I guess when he was around probably was the – D League, maybe even then, I don't, I don't remember. Um, but like, you know, this doesn't mean that it's going to translate to him getting a two way deal or anything like that. And, and you know, 
getting onto a roster and doing anything in the NBA. But man, that's proud of Cal Alexander, man. Going out there for the Suns, putting up double double and, and averaging almost a double double in five games in the summer league. I mean, that, that's that's something to you know hang your hat on and say, hey, this is proof right here. Somebody needs to come sign me, and I'm, I hopefully he or his agent or whomever is really shopping his name around out there. Yeah, and I think what's um, th- there's there's going to be a market for a guy who can defend and block shots. Yeah, that's there's going to be a market for that. Case in point, Eve Pons. We'll get to in a second. <laughs> One, like I I remember a conversation I had with um, with Vincent, you know Yarbrough. Um, I guess this was God. This was like ten ten or so years ago. And we had a con. We were talking about like the league and all that. And one thing he told me that kind of always I, I always remembered was he was like, "Gene, I averaged like seven points a game as a rookie um, in Denver, and you know I got cut, and it was hard for me to figure out." What do you mean? I averaged seven points a game as a rookie. I was doing good things. And he said it took me a long time to realize that wasn't what they needed my role to be. And, you know, I think I remember kind of tracking some of his progress after Denver and, you know, all the things about him were, all the things I read were length versatility you know the Spurs took a long long look at him I guess this was maybe like 2007 maybe 2008 and they envisioned him being Bruce Bowen they thought that he was going to be their next Bruce Bowen now he lost out to Brent Berry or oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, one of the Berry brothers like one of the Barry brothers, you know, people try to say that Carmelo took Vincent's spot in Denver. I actually thought it was the Barry kid because uh, one of the Barry guys, because I think it was John Barry got him in Denver and Brent Barry got him in San Antonio. And maybe it was the way around, but regardless, uh, always felt though, felt as though, um, you know, Carmelo and Vincent played different positions. Um, you know, Carmelo was more of a small forward. Vince was a shooting guard. Um, but I say I'd like to say they the at, at that level, everybody can score. Everybody can do all this stuff. Maybe not as much so this day and age, because they will go out and and get guys, you know, with a specific role in mind. Whereas, um, you know, that may I mean. That wasn't that may not have always been the case. Like they will go get a PJ Tucker who was really good in college, but they're telling them, "Hey, you may only take three shots a game." Um, you know, that's the sort of things that they're going to ask of you. People, people, people forget Bruce Bowen averaged thirty points a game in college. Thirty. Uh, did he score thirty points in the NBA? I kid. He obviously did. But um, <laughs> uh, to to bring this back. Kyle Alexander was never a guy who was asked to score. Even in Knoxville, he was asked, you know, mm-hmm. scoring was something that he could do a little bit of, but really, you know, can you be an intimidator? Can you affect some things in the paint? Um, 
And if you can do that, we're going to be a good team. Uh, I'm pretty sure I think he has more blocks than anybody in Tennessee history. Is that right? Or is he second? Uh, he's second because I'm pretty sure C.J. Black owns like all the block yeah. records for Tennessee. Gotcha. Uh, mm-hmm. But, you know, you're talking about a guy who C.J. just spent some time with him last week, a couple weeks ago. Oh, nice. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, like Kyle is a guy who affects shots and you know, the Suns, what they did not have the NBA Finals when Sarge went out was interior depth. So they're going to be looking at a guy like that. And if you can get a guy like that, sign him to a, a deal just to simply be there in the bench, maybe give you five, ten minutes a game, you know, get some of those early second quarter minutes that are so important. Um, you know, Kyle's young. Was he like 24, 25? Yeah, he's still pretty young, yeah. So he can he can help with the growth and development of, you know, he can you know, he can help DeAndre Ayton in a way that, and and vice versa. So I, I think if there's a guy who helped his stock the most out of these Tennessee guys, it would be him just because look, man, he's your best pro he was the best prospect, I'd say, out of that group of guys in Knoxville. I mean, you can make a case for Jordan Bone, but um, you could easily say. I mean, look, man, this basketball is still a tall man's game. Uh, yeah, it's still a tall man's game, and yeah, if you're a tall guy and you can run the floor and you're unselfish, there's going to be a place for you. And I've seen some things that suggest that you know, I, you know, Kyle has certainly developed. An aggression that may not have always existed in Knoxville, but um, to see it, you know, to see him, I think what was it, the 18, 14, and three game, to see him mm-hmm. put, up, put up those sorts of numbers uh, will only serve to his benefit. Does it work out for the Suns? Maybe, maybe not, but 32 teams have a chance to look, or 30, whatever the number is, they have a chance to look <laughs> and see. Uh, yeah, that was the thing that I've noticed from the summer league was that the the aggression he has is is different than what he had at Tennessee. And that that just comes with getting older and also just getting more experience. We we talked multiple times that like I mean when he came to Tennessee, he only had a few years of basketball experience. In Tennessee, only added only added four more years for him, and he he you know still hadn't been, he hasn't been playing basketball for a decade still. Like most guys at his age, he be, by the way he'll be twenty five in October. So yeah, he's still pretty young. Most guys at at almost twenty five have been playing basketball for. 15 maybe some 20 years like it it, it at this at this point in, the, in his career most guys have been playing a lot longer than he has so yeah i think that just was going to come with time and it's good to see he's got that aggressiveness now that it's more prevalent than it was you know he's developed that more so yeah make a good point I, I think he more than any of these guys that you know former vols really helped his stock the most we'll run down some of the other guys here too uh, jordan bone Speaking of Jordan Bone, for the Pacers, had two starts in five games in Las Vegas, averaged 6.2 points uh, per game in that one. I think in, yeah, the last game of the of the Summer League, nine points and five rebounds for the Pacers there. I was a little surprised that Jordan Bowden actually, again, you mentioned, you know, a lot of guys can score, so maybe this isn't as impressive, but he actually ended up averaging uh, nine points per game in the three games he played for the Nets and averaged 23 minutes a game, which is also not bad for the Nets in the Summer League. Ended up with 10 points in Brooklyn's finale. He had 14 in the game prior. So uh, 14 and 10 in his last two games. So I guess he didn't score a whole lot in the first game, but 14 and 10 in the final two games. Keon Johnson for the Clippers obviously just got drafted. 
Averaged almost 25 minutes a game. Averaged 8.6 points, 5.2 rebounds, and 1.8 assists. Ended up with 17 points, um, I believe, in the finale for the Clippers on 6-12 shooting. It had 6 rebounds in that game as well. Epons, who just signed with the Grizzlies as well, averaged 4 points, a little over 1 block, and 2 rebounds a game. I saw plenty of highlights of him making some crazy blocks um, in games for the Grizzlies. He played the most. He played a, a ton of games. You know, not really a ton, but he played more than any other the Tennessee's players. He played seven games, played for the Grizzlies, both in Salt Lake City and in Las Vegas. Um, so he played the most out of all these guys. Schofield, 18 minutes per game, 4.6 points, four rebounds and two assists. Nine points, four rebounds, and four assists in their summer league game against the Knicks. That, that'll, I'll, be, I'll be interested to see what Schofield does, if he can land some sort of G League type thing with, with the, the Hawks or somebody, because I, I think he's he's a guy who also has, has really drastically changed his body um, in a different way than when he played at Tennessee. You know, we, we were used to watching him at Tennessee as a 6'6", 235 kind of guy. He's down to like, I want to say he's down to like 220, closer to maybe 215. Like he, I, I know that was a big deal from last season where we're talking about he had slumped down a lot and that was to play the role for the Wizards, if I remember correctly, that, what kind of role they want him to play. So I'll be curious to see if he stays kind of around that weight and stays kind of in that build and if that, you know, can get him to land somewhere. Um, but the last guy to mention here is Jaden Springer. Again, just like Pon- just like uh, Johnson, excuse me, was drafted recently in the first round. He averaged 11.2 points per game and started all five of the 76ers summer league games. Uh, averaged almost 28 minutes a game, which was a, a, a ton uh, by by most these standards here, and 2.6 assists per contest as well. Had a uh, team high 21 points in their final summer league game on eight of 14 shooting. So both Springer and Johnson flashed, a, you know, a decent amount of their potential in the summer league. But I, I agree with you that I think Kyle Alexander did himself the most favors. And I'll, I'll be interested to kind of see what happens with Schofield. Pons, obviously, you know, well, I mean, I guess he did himself some big favors too, getting signed by the Grizz. Uh, but I'll be interested to see what Schofield does. And I was a little surprised by Jordan Bowden, but I don't really know if that'll go somewhere. I, I'll be, they don't have his numbers here on Tennessee's website from what he shot from three. That to me would be the biggest thing for him is if he, if he's, back to shooting the three ball better than his last, you know, year at Tennessee. Cause if he can get, if he can click on somewhere as a guy who's a, a three point specialist, then he has a chance of doing something. I just, I'm not, you know, my hopes for Bowden to make a roster aren't super high, but I, I, I really do hope that, you know, Pons can stick around and, and do something with the Grizzlies or someone else in the years to come. And I'm really, really rooting for Kyle Alexander. Cause that kid has worked his butt off over the past, you know, six, seven years, and I, I really hope he can land somewhere, even if it's not the Suns. I mean, somewhere, man. I, I, I really hope so. But I, I also, you know, can Schofield stick around? He's a guy who's played fairly well in the G League, but is he just going to be, you know, I think he's he, there's a good chance he's just going to kind of be a really good G League player and not really break it into the NBA. Because let me, let me look up his, his uh, height and weight now, because I'm pretty sure he's listed at – let's see what he's listed at on uh, – their actual website, or not their website. I don't, he's not on a website anymore, I guess. He's not on a on a team's roster. On basketball reference, he's listed at 6'5", 241, and I don't think it's accurate anymore. That was his, his UT height and weight. So he, he had trimmed down, because I remember reading a couple of stories about him trimming down, and I even seeing a picture of him <laughs> uh, compared to his last year at Tennessee and to that year in, in the NBA. And I was like, he looks like a just different guy. It's kind of crazy. Um, 
yeah, I don't know if you have other thoughts on that, Gene, before we go into the last topic or not, but I, I, I think those are kind of all I had to say. I don't know when the all the deals and stuff have to happen here in the next you know month or so, but I, I will be interested to see if any of Tennessee's guys, any, any more of these guys land contracts. I, I would be surprised if Cal Alexander doesn't get some sort of deal. Like you said, he's he can play a role that teams need. Um, but I'll be interested to see if any of these other guys do too. Uh, nothing much to add. I think uh, as long as, you know, I think the guys, you know, Jaden Springer and Keon Johnson – had nothing to worry about. They weren't out here fighting for their jobs. Like no. they're, they're they're both first round draft picks. They're just kind of seeing what they can bring to the table. Um, I actually think um, both at least found themselves in good situations there. Um, with the rest of them, I mean, look, they're they're having to put they're doing everything they can to put good tape out there. I think Alexander did. Not not nearly as sure about what Admiral did or any of the other guys. Um, it's it, I said it earlier, man. It's a tall man's game. Uh, just simply being a six five shooting guard, like those are literally a dime a dozen, man. We just talked about Casey Wallace, and as great as Casey Wallace is, they've got Jamal <laughs> Mayshack. They've got that guy. They've got like you know Tennessee's got a, a bunch of guys who are in that 6'5 range uh, already. Uh, Josiah Jordan James is 6'6". It's not hard to go find those guys. You know, not till you get to like 6'7", six, 6'8", six, and above are you really in an area that's nice. And so it's going to be a lot tougher for Jordan Bowden because if all you're going to say is, you know, 6'5", I mean, from everything I saw in, while he was in Knoxville, 6'5", um, really kind of, you know, Nice little mid-range game, good three-point shooter, kind of a streaky shooter, and a pretty solid defender. Um, I don't know if that's going to be enough because it's so easy to find those guys. You can find them anywhere. Um, and, and I hate to say it that, you know, lay it so bare, but that's just the truth. Um, there's a lot of money for him to be uh, for him to make. I just don't know if the NBA is going to be the place for him to make that money um, playing. But, I mean, a guy who's going to go out there and do everything he can to fight for his uh, professional life, I won't say anything negative towards him Hmm. with that. Like, that's a kid who, you know, that that could be guys like that who aren't given anything at that level. I mean, if you look at Jordan Bowden's story, he hasn't been given anything. They went to Carter, nothing worked out for him. You know, went to a prep school, ended up at Tennessee, played well. So this, it's almost like you know Groundhog Day for him. It's like back to square one. So a guy like that, you won't hear me say anything negative about that, because that's a dude who's just going out there. He's just grinding and doing everything, everything he can to get that opportunity. That's all he knows. That's all he understands. And. Uh, from talking to him some that I guess over that two year run, um, he's a good dude too. So, you know, you kind of want good things to happen to guys like that. I just don't know, looking at this from a purely basketball standpoint, I'm just not sure how possible that's going to be, but, um, we'll see. Uh, we'll see. Yeah. And there's no shame at all going overseas and playing. I mean, that's, that's the route, obviously route that one of the greatest balls ever 
went and took. That was Chris Lofton. I mean, he obviously didn't make it in the NBA for different reasons, clearly. But, I mean, he killed it overseas, and he's had a really good overseas career. So there's there's definitely no um, no shame in that. There's been a, several different Vols who had really good overseas careers. I'm trying to remember. Gosh, there's been didn't Vincent played overseas, didn't he? Yeah, he had some injuries. Yeah. He played in Germany, though, I'm pretty sure. It was one of the okay. best. But there's been a couple guys recently who like who played for Tennessee in the last ten years or so that end up playing in, in different leagues, other whether it was Euro leagues or in Turkey or whatever. Like there's been a lot of guys who've played overseas somewhere. So I'll be, I'll be interested to see if like a guy like the Monte Turner does that too, because I don't know that he's ever going to be able to get into the NBA um, with you know with his injuries and whatnot that he's had in his his career. But he's trying. I mean, he's he, he was going to play. Um, and the uh, the volunteers, which we haven't talked about, but he's going to play with them. And then I think he had he had COVID. I think recently before that, he said he wasn't fully recovered from it yet. So if that was if that was the case. That you know, hate that for him. But I'd like to see you know if if, if he doesn't play again, I hope he goes into some sort of coaching or something because he has that attitude that I think could do well um, potentially in coaching or something like that. I, I just like the Monte as a person. He mm-hmm. always appreciated his effort and his attitude on the court. So um, always rooting for him to go do something and see what he does but we had another topic but gene we've talked for a while here now so i think we'll, we'll go into the podcast maybe save that one for later like i said we're on the uh <laughs> we're in the off season we're in the thick of things where if you're obviously a big football fan which a lot of all fans are this is your time because the football season is almost here we're in the middle of fall camp and position battles going on but basketball wise there's not a lot to talk about right now you have recruiting like i said we do have guys who are visiting here soon i think I think we're in a dead period right now for basketball recruiting in terms of visits and stuff, but I, I don't recall, but I'm pretty sure we are. That's why most of the stuff, I think, is at the end of this month and then in, in September when you're seeing more visits happen. But I, I could be wrong about that. But anyway, um, that's kind of all that's mostly going on is recruiting, and then now the NBA Summer League just ended, so that's not happening right now either. But we'll keep you updated on our Twitter and Facebook at Vol Hoops Fever on Twitter and Vol Basketball Fever on Facebook about, you know, where guys sign and stuff like that for Tennessee. Hopefully we'll see Kyle Alexander sign. We'll see about any other guys as well. But guys, thank you all so much for tuning in. We really appreciate it. You've helped the show grow even in here in the off season when there hasn't been any games to talk about, uh, when there hasn't been, you know, we've had news. We've had Tennessee getting commitments and transfers and stuff, but um, when there hasn't been any games, you guys have helped this podcast grow. So I'm excited to see what happens when we get into the season and we get to the season and being a fully a Tennessee podcast, not an SEC podcast gene and, and seeing how that goes yeah. uh, this year. So thank you all so much for all the, the you know, growth and attention so far. Really looking forward to what happens here in a few months once the season is underway. I thank you all so much. Again, share the show, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, subscribe to us today, go follow us, go like us, all that fantastic stuff if you haven't already. Thank you all so much. Signing off for Gene, I am Nathaniel, and this has been another episode of the Vol Basketball Fever Podcast. Thank you for listening to the Vol Basketball Fever Podcast. Subscribe to the show so you'll never miss another episode. 